Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Well, hello there, Impact Makers. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode of the Impact Makers podcast, where my goal is to provide you with tools, tips, and resources to help you build a career that you love and a life that matters. Today, I'm talking with Claire Coder, a bold and exciting young entrepreneur who lives in Columbus, Ohio. To be honest, after meeting Claire less than a year ago, she was one of the first people that I reached out to when I started this podcast to be a guest because I wanted the chance to get to know her better and to hear more of her story. And I definitely wasn't disappointed. Claire is unique, engaging, and inspiring, and she's definitely making an impact in the world in a way that I've not really encountered before. She popped onto my radar last year by sending me an email. I was scheduled to be a keynote speaker at the Ohio HR conference last fall, and she sent an email to everyone registered to attend the conference sharing her excitement about being there to represent her new company called Go Ant Flow. Now, if you're like me, that company name caught your attention, especially if you're a woman. And if you're a man, um, please keep listening. <laughs> I read her email and unlike typical vendor emails, it was written in a lighthearted and fun tone, shared that Go Ant Flow would have a booth in the expo hall, and Claire wanted to meet me and give me some free tampons. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that word on my own podcast. <laughs> but that wasn't the only thing that jumped out at me. The piece de resistance was her signature line in the email. Claire Coder, Chief Menstruation Officer. Now, even though I like to think of myself as edgy and cool, I mean, don't we all? I'll have to admit, I was a little shocked and a bit uncomfortable, but I was also intrigued. So I googled Claire Coder and found out that she was a young entrepreneur with a bright and fun website, and her company's tagline was, people helping people, period. Get it? <laughs> I read further and saw that she had a accumulated an impressive list of awards and accomplishments already as a young entrepreneur and woman business owner, and she had recently been selected to be the youngest 40 under 40 award recipient in Columbus, Ohio. So when the conference rolled around, I was only able to be there for one day, but I had a mission. Immediately after my keynote presentation, I made my way to the expo hall to check out Claire Coder and Go Ant Flow just to satisfy my curiosity. And I was not disappointed. She was delightful, had an interesting and much needed business model. And yes, she did give me some free tampons. <laughs> After the conference, I invited Claire to be a speaker at Disrupt HR Cincinnati last October. And she did a great five minute Disrupt HR talk about the hidden cost of menstruation. Her talk was funny, well-researched and did a great job of preventing, presenting the business case for providing free tampons and pads in the workplace. People loved her talk, her idea, and of course, they loved her. After the event, I reached out to her to connect on LinkedIn and I read more about her background. It was only then that I learned that she was only 20 years old. 20! She hadn't even been old enough to have a drink at our networking event. 
That fact forever solidified my membership in the Claire Coder fan club. Now, she's a much older and wiser 21-year-old now, and in our conversation today, she shares more about her interesting life journey thus far, how she got the idea for GoAntFlow, the struggles, challenges, and victories of being a college dropout who has created a successful startup that is not only environmentally and socially conscious, but now counts Fortune 100 companies and major universities as clients after less than two years in business. Trust me, you don't have to be a woman, an entrepreneur, a millennial, or even in Generation Z, which Claire is, to get some great takeaways from our conversation today. Like me, I'm sure you'll find Claire fascinating and inspiring as well as wise beyond her years. I personally learned a lot from her about what can happen when you take charge of your dreams and your destiny, and I'm sure you will too. Welcome, Claire Coder, to the Impact Makers Podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Jennifer. You're doing great. I can see that. You've got, uh, <laughs> I have you on video. Everyone else doesn't have that, but you're sitting in front of the solar system or something. What is that in your office? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it is a solar system galaxy. Kind of helps us be more worldly. <laughs> I love it. We're going to hear lots yes. of things about this. It helps you be more worldly. Um, well, tell me, I've, I've already kind of shared a little bit about how I connected with you and how I came across uh, Claire Coder and Ant Flow, but maybe tell me your story. Kind of start wherever you want. What is what is Claire Coder all about? Who is she? Yes, 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 yes. So, of course, my name is Claire, and I started my company um, when I was 18. Uh, but before I talk about my company and my entrepreneurial journey, I would love to take it back to my high school days uh, because that's really where my um, where my entrepreneurial path started. So um, when I was 16, I actually started my first business Mm -hmm. and it was a promotional products company. So I was hand pressing uh, buttons and magnets and compact mirrors and selling them to my friends and having my friends sell them to their friends. Before I knew it, I was like unknowingly starting this multi-level marketing plan uh, of like getting people to buy my badges and magnets and compact mirrors. And then I started selling on Etsy uh, and I actually became a top seller on Etsy, which was pretty wild. Meanwhile, I'm like a sophomore in high school. Uh, I am not performing too well in classes because I kept skipping because I had a business to run. Um, but what I learned about myself from this, um, experience was I just loved selling things and I loved making people smile. And I loved, uh, just the way that people could pay me $3 and I could give them so much more than just a badge. I could give them a gift for their friend. I could give them a smile on their face. And so that's really what I, that at that point was when I learned that I loved business. And at the time, I didn't know the term entrepreneurship. I didn't know about startups. Like our school was very much like, once you graduate high school, you go to college and you get a degree and that's the path that you take. So when I was in high school, that's what I learned and that's what I was taught. But I was also doing this really cool side hustle, which was starting a badge company. Um, And so that was really where I first got this bug of what I now know to be entrepreneurial or entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. 
So is that, tell me how that idea came to you. Are you from a family of entrepreneurs or you just love the badges and wanted other people to have them? How did that start? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually got the badge maker, um, for, from my grandma for my birthday. And my grandma is just like a really rad woman. She gave it to me without really knowing what would, what would come of it. Um, but when I got this badge maker, I just started like designing cute little phrases. Um, and at the time, you know, like woke, like get woke and like all these like fun, like middle school phrases that we would say, um, like slay, like nobody, no adult would sell these badges because they don't know the middle school and or I'm sorry, the high school term terminology, but I was an expert at it because I was in high school. So I would make all these badges with these fun phrases and when I was starting out, I would literally just give them away. Um, I was like, this is so fun. And then it got to the point where I ran out of the badges that came with the set that I got from my grandma. Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, well, we're not giving you money to buy more. Um, and I was 16 and I, I didn't have a job yet. And my dad was like, well, why don't you start selling them? If people love them so much, start selling them. And I was like, oh, dad, you're right. Um, and my dad is a land surveyor. So he like walks around and like finds property lines. And my mom is a art therapist. So perfect entrepreneur uh, creators there. <laughs> like, yeah, like wild, wildly different. They're no longer together, but they, um, wildly different spectrums. Um, but my dad really just encouraged me to start selling these badges. And before I knew it, I was like wheeling and dealing on the, you know, during lunchtime. And that's how I grew this, like the company was called There's a Badge for that. That's how I grew this wild badge empire um, in a matter of two and a half, three years. And that's what I did from my sophomore year of high school through my senior year. Mm -hmm. So was it because you graduated high school, you decided to to move on from the badge company or did it come to a natural end? How did that, that go? Yeah. Yeah. And so like I was mentioning, um, when I was in high school, the, as I, as I geared to graduate high school, the question was not, what are you doing after high school? The question was a presumptive question of where are you going to college? Mm -hmm. And so I come to understood, come to, came to understand that the only way to be successful was to get a college degree. You know, there was no other option. There was no other route. Um, and especially in my area, that was the, the way towards success. You know, my parents got degrees. My friends' parents got degrees. That's just what you did. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I started applying to colleges and I was so spiteful um, because I just did not feel like college was the direction for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't really like school. I didn't like learning in a school environment. I got a 16 on the ACT. I just did not perform well on tests. Um, and for, for parents that are listening, um, I got a 16 on the ACT, but I still got into the Ohio State. The Ohio State University. <laughs> so um, just so you know, there is hope for your children if they are uh, getting <laughs> scoring really poorly on the ACT. There is still hope if they do want to go to college, but I didn't want to go to college. And I unfortunately, Fortunately, got into the Ohio State University, and that's where my parents shipped me off to. So I followed on the path. I went to Ohio State, and it was a natural end for there's a badge for that because, um, unfortunately, you know, you can't, you're, you're forced to live in a dorm, you can't have a car on campus. It was not a great environment for actually running a company. So 
um, I let, I let the company go. But while I was at the university, I was studying comparative religion and I just knew that I wanted to study something that would force me to think critically, think differently and understand people and how they operated. Yeah. 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 Interesting. While I was there, I, I just didn't feel like I could find my people. So I started immersing myself in the greater Columbus, Ohio area. And I actually attended a startup weekend. Uh, Jennifer, are you familiar with Startup Weekend? Yeah, uh, so yeah. it's a really cool 24-hour hackathon where people come to, or I'm sorry, 54-hour hackathon. People come together, pitch their ideas on a Friday night, and then by Sunday they have supposedly this grand business idea that could make you millions of dollars. Um, so I, I, I went to a startup weekend, and on Friday night, I'm so excited. I'm in the community, and on Friday night while I was there, I got my period. Um, and I'm like a $40 Uber ride away from my dorm. And I go to the bathroom mm-hmm. and there are Q-tips. There is mouthwash. Of course, there's toilet paper and paper towels, but no tampons and pads. And I'm like, what? What do you want me to use, a Q-tip? <laughs> like, what? Um, and so it was literally at that moment when I was in distress thinking to myself, you know, toilet paper and paper towels are offered for free. Why aren't tampons and pads? And that was really the question that yeah. sparked this idea of what is now known as Amp Flow. Uh-huh. So you went to Startup Weekend just looking to connect with people, not really thinking about getting an idea to start a business. But when you arrived, you found your idea. Is that the way it worked? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's exactly how it worked. And then, of course, hustled on the idea for the weekend. Um, and I started to learn more about the menstrual product industry. I understood that tampons and pads aren't covered by food stamps. They aren't covered by WIC. They aren't covered by SNAP. And so there's, you know, 16 million women living at or below the poverty line that are, first of all, trying to get food. But then in addition to that, don't have access to tampons and pads because Jennifer, we know those products are super expensive. In a woman's lifetime, she will spend an average of $3,000 on tampons and pads. And oh, I would have so, thought more than that. Well, yeah, well, that's just tampons and pads. That doesn't include, or, and that's like if you just purchase like the Walmart brand um, mm-hmm. and you're not like at the gas station where they charge you like bajillions of dollars for a tampon um, yeah. because you're in an emergency situation. So, um, so I learned about that. I learned about the ingredients that are used or, or to make our current products. They're mm-hmm. bleached with chlorine. They have synthetics. They have dyes. I'm like, all of this is just wild. And so- after going through the weekend, that really just continued my passion for this industry to create a sustainable solution to ensure that everyone has access to menstrual products. And so um, that's, that's where it all started. And that was about three years ago. So you were 18, 19 that weekend? Yes. Yep. Eight. 18, 18. I was about to turn 19. Of course, now I'm 21. Um, mm-hmm. And we've been in business just over one year. So, so what the company actually does is how we created this sustainable solution. We manufacture our 100% organic cotton tampons and pads, Mm -hmm. and we sell them to businesses and schools so they can offer them for free in their bathrooms for employees and guests. So just like I was talking about that um, moment when you get your period unexpectedly in public, it's happened to 86% of women. Um, 
now you no longer have to worry because you can go to the bathroom and find Antflow products in the bathroom. So the business will purchase our products just like they purchase toilet paper and paper towels, put it in their bathroom and offer it to their students, guests, and employees as a courtesy to ensure that you know, no one has to worry about getting their period in public. So that's what we do. I have so many questions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so let's go back to the startup weekend. So it sounds like over the weekend, you spent a lot of time doing research. Uh, was there anything else involved? Did you did you partner with anyone to like think of a company name or create a website? Or did you have to make a pitch at the end of the weekend? How did that go? Yeah, yeah. So uh, startup weekends are really focused on brain exercises. Um, it you really don't get into a competitive analysis. You really don't learn how to source products. So that's what I did for the next two years following that weekend. So Mm -hmm. right after that weekend, I actually went to my guidance counselor at the university and I told her I was going to drop out. Um, So I literally, after that weekend, I dropped out of college. I was cut off from all my friends, all of my parents did not approve of this decision. Um, and so for about a year, I was trying to figure out my life, trying to, you know, forward rent, learn how to be an adult, all of those things, a crash course of adulthood in a matter of like three months, um, because that's like all the money that I had in my bank account. So I had to figure out how to be an adult in three months. And then from there, I, you know, I picked up some part-time jobs and that was what I did for about a year. And then a year, um, the year after that, I was still working at a marketing agency where I developed a lot of my marketing skills. And then it was November of 27 or 2016, November of 2016. That's when we officially launched sales. So it was about two years of building this company until we actually launched sales. And by we, I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what were you doing during that two-year period? You're working part-time, you're, you're trying to figure out how to live and, and find yourself in this world as a, a young adult. Um, what kinds of things were you doing to really, obviously you were committed to this idea. So you weren't like just trying to find yourself. You were trying to find a way to launch this company. What steps did you take to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I am, yes. Yeah. So for the first year out of well, after dropping out of college, I was really at the bottom of the pyramid. I was trying to figure out my basic needs, you know, like car insurance, health insurance, figuring out how to feed myself, figuring out rent, like all of these things. Um, and of course, waitressing three different jobs and trying to figure out like how to manage myself. So for the first, you know, six months. I couldn't even think about this business because I had to think about feeding myself. And of course, after I got my, first, my, my job and I, I was managing life a little bit more, um, that's when I was able to free up some headspace to be able to get to that like self-actualization pinnacle um, <laughs> to, think about, um, to think about this company. So for the first, or so for the two years where I was really like organizing the company, I mean, there's a lot that goes into building a company. I had to source my product. I had to raise money. So I raised a crowdfunding campaign of $25,000 to purchase my initial product run. Um, And that's really what I was doing for two years. I was just trying to figure out all the business things. I built my first website. I, uh, well, it was actually my second website because the first one I built was for There's a Badge for that, but I had to build this one for Ant Flow. Um, Just a lot of like, stuff that goes into building a business. That's what I was doing for the first two years prior to actually launching sales. Mm -hmm. So how did you think to start the crowdfunding thing? 
Yeah, yeah. So actually, when I was working at this marketing company, um, my role was to help launch brands on a Kickstarter and Indiegogo and CrowdRise. So that was like literally my job. So I learned a lot about um, launching brands, developing products, developing um, marketing strategies. And so that's really what I was familiar with. So it was really like second nature once I did it for my own company. Well, that was kind of uh, serendipitous that you ended up doing that. It was really convenient, yes. <laughs> so how did you come up with the name Ant Flow? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll admit it was a lot of like, I knew that I wanted to create a company that was very forward. I was tired of all these companies that don't talk about menstruation. And Ant Flow is, of course, a euphemism for menstruation. It's kind of like the Crimson Tide or the Red Sea or Shark Week. Um, like, oh, Ant Flow is in town. Um, so I knew I wanted to create like a fun phrase um, that cussed on talking more about menstruation. So, so th then I just, you know, looked to see what trademarks were available, what social media handles were available and what domain was available and turned out that Go Ant Flow all was available. So that is kind of just what triggered us to, you know, own that name as Ant Flow. Interesting. So, you know, I've seen you speak. I've seen you kind of pitch your products in a uh, trade show environment. I've I've followed you online, and clearly, as a, a still a very young woman, very uh, successful startup entrepreneur so far, you are not ashamed or embarrassed at all about talking about something that probably the majority of people are ashamed or embarrassed of talking about. So, did, is that something that just came naturally to you, or have you had to grow into that? How does that work? Mm, yeah. So I will thank my mom for this. Um, my mom is a therapist. And so growing up, she always talked to me about expressing myself with words and expressing myself um, with art. And so it always came naturally for me to talk about hard things and talk about what I was feeling or what I was doing. Um, so my mom really had a huge influence on that. But of course, like, there's also a lot of vulnerability that you're forced to go through when you're an entrepreneur. Um, you have to let people know what's going on so that they can help you. You have to be honest with your employees so they know what's going on. Like, there's just so many points of vulnerability that I have had to accept. And one of the um, most powerful exercises that I did to help myself be more more comfortable in my leadership style and more t comfortable talking about my body and my vagina and menstruation and like all the things that come with human anatomy um, was actually nude modeling. Um, so yeah, yeah, yay. <laughs> I didn't um, expect so we were going there. <laughs> we're, we're going there. We're going there. So I, um, I, I nude model for figure drawing classes. So think of painters, that are learning about the human body and learning about structures. So I'm the model. I'm the one that's literally standing for hours at a time naked in front of um, folks drawing me. <laughs> uh, and I actually first got into it when I dropped out of university. And it was like a way to get really quick money um, that quite honestly was like under the table. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I, that's when I first got into it, but I fell in love with it because what happens when you are nude modeling for figure drawing classes is that these artists are looking at you for all of the beauty within your body. Um, and if they don't look at you as beautiful, then their art will be ugly. So it's this 
gorgeous metaphor on how folks really should just look at everybody as beautiful because then they'll see the world as a more lovely place. But, you know, it, when you're taken out of that context, you are looking at people and comparing yourself and judging and whatever. But then when you're standing naked in front of a room of artists, you are the most beautiful human in the world. And so whenever I model, um, it really helps me accept myself as a human um, and accept my body as what it is and just feel more comfortable as a entrepreneur and a businesswoman. So mm -hmm. that's one of the most powerful exercises that I've ever gone through. Yeah. So the first weekend even of, of startup weekend and you came up with this idea and you, you marched out, I'm sure, to a room full of young men probably at a startup weekend and said, I'm going to create a company around menstruation. You weren't embarrassed to say that at all? Um, I mean, I, hmm. was I? Hmm. I was probably nervous. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that there is some uh, naivete with being a young entrepreneur. Uh, I, I'm in the zone of my life where I'm just like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, let's let's just try it and fail. And, you know, like, I have so much more life to live. So like if my, you, you know, like I'll, I'll grow up and forget about it. Right. If I like embarrass myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that it wasn't a huge problem for me um, getting up on stage and talking about my period and menstruation in this company um, for the first time, because I mean, somebody has to talk about it, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. So as you've kind of, so the company is now a little over a year old, um, you've kind of changed your business model around a little bit since you started. So tell me about that process when you, you first kind of became official uh, go ant flow. What did you, where did you go to try to sell your product? Yeah, yeah. So um, when I was first starting out, um, I recognized that I would not be able to sustainably manage all of the business customers that we have. Businesses go through tons and tons of product. And when I first made my purchase of inventory, that was $25,000 $25, worth of inventory, that's not a lot of inventory. It sounds like a lot of tampons and pads, but it's really not when you're servicing businesses. Um, so when I first started out, we were actually a subscription box for tampons and pads. And that's where we started um, is I would sell my products online to individuals. They could purchase and customize their boxes. For every box they purchased, we would donate a box to a menstruator in need living in the U.S. Um, and of course, as of now, we're really focusing on those business to business sales. So like I mentioned, we sell our products to businesses. They can offer them for free to employees and guests. But really, selling to initial or selling to customers initially allowed us to build up our revenue and build up our inventory that we were warehousing to be able to sustainably and successfully venture into the business to business side. And now, I mean, we're in over 100 companies across the United States. We have customers in 47 states. I mean, our customers range from Kellogg's, L Brands, Jenny's Ice Cream, Harvard, Stanford, Brown, uh, you know, Columbus State community college, Ohio University, we're really working with these huge companies. And if I started out working with those companies, we wouldn't have been able to support them the way that we are now because we do have revenue built up and we do have inventory built up to respond to their needs. So the initial idea of uh, buy kind of the Tom's Shoes model, you buy one and we give one to a menstruator in need. How did you come up with that? Uh, yeah, it was basically like Tom's for tampons, right? Yeah. Uh, and it 
I really wanted to create that sustainable solution to ensure everyone had access to menstrual products. So mm-hmm. with our subscription box, um, it really serviced folks um, at the higher income level because they could pay a little bit more for their menstrual products to have it delivered to their door. And then it also served the folks living at or below the poverty line. But there was this ginormous gap in the middle where there are folks um, that didn't want to pay extra for menstrual products, but also didn't live at or below the poverty line. And so that's where our business to business sales really come in to support those folks because now employers and schools and universities are stocking their bathrooms so that, of course, now this middle, um, this middle income group now has access to our products as well. So that's really how we were able to support everyone in ensuring they were able to have access to our quality menstrual products. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned uh, some Fortune 100 companies, major universities, and again, you're just a business is a little over a year old. How in the world did you get in front of those organizations and or get them as clients? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is always like the big question for business. You know, how do you get sales? How do you get in front of people? Um, and I will attribute a lot of our success to um, my sales team. I mean, my director of sales is awesome. Um, she shamefully calls on large companies. We shamefully go on LinkedIn and like, you know, tackle people until they answer us, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> But, I, but a lot of it has to do with um, our brand and our business model. A lot of businesses hear about our company in the media. We've been in Forbes, Team Vogue, Hello Giggles. A lot of businesses hear about us, I mean, from podcasts like this, and then they think, wow, this is such an awesome opportunity to be able to support our students or our guests or our female employees. That's really cost effective. I mean, it costs 5 to $7 per female employee per year. So when you're thinking about employee benefits, it's such an awesome and no awesome opportunity and no brainer um, for a lot of companies. Um, so so they hear about us, they hear about the quality of products that we have, and then they you know buy us or buy our products. So um, that's really how we've been able to lean on media and our brand recognition, and of course. Um, really what we offer. Um, We are still a socially conscious brand, although we don't do that subscription box, buy one, give one anymore. Consumers can still purchase our product. um, And for every box that a consumer purchases, we donate a box to a menstruator in need. And for every large company that works with us, for every 10 tampons and pads that they purchase, we donate one to a menstruator in need. So last year, we donated 100,000 tampons and pads. And this year, we're on track to do a half a million um, to support, you know, folks in need in the United States. So that's really what um, we use to track our success is how many folks that we're supporting across the United States. Well, that's amazing. And you mentioned a team. And again, you're just a little over a year in business. When did the team come into place and how many people do you have working with you now? Yeah, yeah. So I love, I love that you asked this because I... I frequently say we when I mean just me. Uh, I, I got in that habit when I was first starting out and trying to close some large businesses because, you know, large businesses want to make sure that you can deliver on time, that you are accountable, that you're not just, you know, some schmuck off the side of the road slinging some tampons. So um, at one point, I literally, excuse me, I made extra emails that was like sally at ampflow.org and like I was sally (laughs) I was sally but like sally was really our like director of university sales you know but like really it's just like me on the other end Um, 
So, so the team actually did come into play um, starting October of 2017, so about a year into the business. Um, I mean, I was running the company by myself for about a year. I brought on some folks here and there to help package and ship. They were all contractors part-time, but now I do have one full-time director of sales, and she oversees all of our markets. So she oversees middle schools and high schools, colleges, large corporations, and small businesses, and she makes sure that everybody gets the products that they're ordering when they're ordering them. Um, and then I oversee everything else. So <laughs> um, that that's what our company looks like right now. And then we also do have 13 um, part-time folks that come in and out as we need them, when we need them. Mm -hmm. Well, describe what, what is a day in the life like for a young entrepreneur who is uh, running a growing company uh, kind of single-handedly with the help of a salesperson now, but you've done a lot of it on your own. What's a day in the life like? Yeah. It's wild, Jennifer, <laughs> Collie. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the other day I was talking to um, a mailman and I was like, what do you love about what you do? And he was like, you know, every day is something different. And I was, I looked at him kind of like cockeyed. I was like, don't you travel the same route every day? You know, like, don't you go to the same houses every day? And they're like, but every day is different. Some days you might, like, a dog might be barking at you, and other days there's not a dog. And when I say that every day of my life is truly different, it's literally so different every day. Like mm -hmm. today, um, you know, before and after this call, we're interviewing new folks for a customer care specialist. Yesterday, I was at a trade show. The day before that, I was um, – sourcing new products um, in China, Germany, and Israel with our partners um, in those countries to manufacture our products. So literally every day is different. Now, don't get me wrong. I love mailmen and thank you because they deliver our tampons on time. But uh, when I say every day is different, I truly mean that every day is different. So are you living the dream right now? Is this what you could have ever envisioned yourself doing? And can you envision yourself doing this for a little while longer at least? So I wake up every day and I am so thankful that I have the opportunity to run my own company and the opportunity to, you know, work with my director of sales and that I have the opportunity to get out of bed at 10 a.m. if I don't have any meetings in the morning and work from home and dress how I want and create a company that has the values that I value because it's my company so I can dictate what what we focus on and where we donate and all of that um, so I'm I really do feel grateful um, but that being said I, I take on a lot of burden I mean um, you know just over just six months ago the company was about to go under because um, we were having some problems with manufacturing um, so every win that we have, I feel like it's a win of mine. And every loss that we have, I feel like it's a loss of mine. Um, and I internalize it because it is my company. Um, but I also, I've been working really hard to make sure that um, I, I don't internalize it too much so that it impacts the next day's performance. Um, mm -hmm. but that being said, I think that every entrepreneur deals with this. This, um, you know, we put ourselves in a position to feel euphoric highs and detrimental lows because our business is our lives. It, it, we dedicate so much time to it. It is our child. It is our, our love. It is our passion. It is our every working hour we're thinking and dreaming about what we can do next. Um, 
So for me, I would say that I am living my personal dream, but I do recognize that I am a grower, not a sustainer. So I know that I love growing companies and building brands, but I don't necessarily love sustaining them. So my personal goal with Ant Flow is to build it to a point where um, menstruation is no longer taboo, which is a big, hefty goal. Um, but that's one of my personal goals. I want to build a company that... Um, influences media to ensure that menstruation is no longer a taboo, but also build a company where anybody can go into the bathroom and no longer feel worried about getting their period unexpectedly in public. So that's what I'm working towards. That's what I'm striving towards. Um, and then one day when we meet those goals, I will focus on a new um, goal or activity um, or company. So that's really how I see my trajectory. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned the media and you also shared earlier about uh, the publicity that you've had in Forbes and Teen Vogue and some major publications. Again, how, how did you get those opportunities? How, how did you get featured in those? People are dying for that opportunity. <laughs> mm, yeah, I think a lot of times we just don't ask. We just assume that it's too hard and so we don't ask. But let me tell you, I literally contacted a writer at Forbes and she responded in like a day. <laughs> and you asked. <laughs> like, and I think that um, when thinking about women in business and women in the workplace, a lot of times us as women, we fall behind because we aren't asking for what we want. And that goes to this weird gender gap. Um, you know, I've been in business meetings and um, I men start asking for what they want. And I'm like, wait a minute, I can ask for what I want too. Um, and I think that just, I've been told my entire life, you know, sit still, be pretty and let the, let, let the punches come at you and you're going to be fine. But really as a business owner, I have learned that I just need to make big asks and sometimes people will say no, but when they do say no, bounce back quickly and ask again. And that's really how we've been able to grow so rapidly and also be featured in national news publications. So is that something that has always come naturally to you? I'm just fascinated that, you know, as you said, for a woman in general, but also a young woman, that, that you have found that at such a young age, that a willingness to ask and be rejected and ask again, is, is that something you kind of grew into or has it always been part of you? Hmm. Wow. You know, I, I will say, um, I mean, I grew, I'm an only child, so I have always grown up with adults and, you know, my mom and dad, I were the only folks that I lived with. So, um, I quickly learned negotiation skills, um, because they, you know, they were like my buddies and I really had to like figure out how to get what I wanted. And they really did encourage me to negotiate and to ask for what I wanted because how could I ever get what I want if I don't articulate what I want or if I don't ask for what I want, nobody can just be a mind reader. And I think that, um, my parents had an influence on that. Um, and I would listen to them um, as I grew up. And of course they had, um, some turmoil in the relationship. I mean, as every parents do, but this was even, um, even more so. And I would listen while I was upstairs to the fights that they were having. And my, uh, my mom never really articulated what she wanted in a relationship. 
And she just expected my dad to know what he, what she wanted. And like, that's not fair. And I just remember thinking like, come on, mom, like just like, and there would be arguments where my dad was like, well, well, you know, how, how was I supposed to know that you wanted me to come to this event? Or how was I supposed to, and my mom would just be like, because you're my husband. And that's like not an okay excuse. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, yes, they've been married for like 20 plus years, but like, if you aren't articulating what you want, then you're not going to get it. And so I think that from a young age and listen, like eavesdropping, parents, kids, listen, um, <laughs> but eavesdropping, like that really impacted who I was as a person and really who I knew that I wanted to be um, is a person that asked for what I wanted and therefore get some mm-hmm. things and then, you know, some things not, I wouldn't get, but at least I yeah. So how much of your, your business do you think um, is attributed to kind of your personal charisma? I mean, you are animated, you're attractive young woman. Um, again, the pictures on your social media accounts are you very, very demonstrative. Um, do you think that that has drawn some attention to your business? Whereas maybe if you had been maybe more reserved or quiet, it might have um, slowed the growth curve of Ant Flow, Glow Ant Flow? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's definitely positives and negatives of being the face of a company, especially as a young woman. So um, when I first started Ampflow, I made a very conscious decision that I wanted to be the face. And it wasn't because like I wanted to be the face, but it was more because I wanted to be a founder that menstruated. Uh, I think a lot of times we talk about menstruation as this like weird thing that happens Um, But it's like totally natural. And I wanted to be able to help other young girls recognize how human it is and how like what a natural thing that it is. So that's why I really like ingrained my personal self and my personal image with the company because I can now say, yes, I'm a CEO of a company that um, is quite frankly having like awesome success. But yes, I bleed. Yes, I have cramps. Yes, I, I'm still like a human, right? Um, so I made that very conscious decision. But that being said, being in the media has been both positive and negative. I think the media eats up stories of young female entrepreneurs. But when you're selling to large companies or when you're raising money and asking for investment, there are a lot of folks that are in decision-making um, positions where they say, well, my daughter is 21 and like they may or not, may not have a great perception of their daughter's ability to perform. Um, and they relate me to their daughter and it's awkward and weird. And then they don't trust that I can perform and deliver their products on time, which of course is not the case. We've delivered to all of our customers in a timely fashion. And if we don't, we fix it. Um, so I think that depending on if we're either raising money or performing or selling to a large company, it's a little bit tricky being a young founder, but in terms of getting press and media, it is definitely a benefit. Mm-hmm. What's been maybe a, a really difficult challenge that you've had to overcome either personally or with the business that, that you learned something from in the last couple of years? Mm. Wow, there are so many challenges. <laughs> uh, I mean, one, one thing that I learned most recently is that um, people really do will, if they can take advantage of you, they, they will. Um, and I think that that was part of my naivete of being a young founder is that like, Oh, everybody's lovey. And you know, I'm technically a Gen Z. And so 
I'm part of that generation that demands change. Um, but I also have not had a true life experience that I really remember. Like, I don't remember the stock market crashing. I don't remember 9-11. Like, I'm in, a, I'm in a new generation that doesn't have a real life event that has been extremely traumatic. I mean, of course, I, re- I recognize the election, but like, it wasn't like somebody was coming in hurting me in any way. Like there was no outside forces that were hurting me. Um, so that being said, I, even in my business, I still have to check myself and make sure that I, um, make sure that I'm running my company tightly, um, and not allowing other folks to take advantage of me. Like I'm so thankful for my CPA the other day she was chatting with, or this was like, nine months ago, um, the other day she was chatting with me and she was like, yep, so you just need to send me your monthly bank statements. And I was like, well, can I just give you my bank account information so that you can like check them each month and I don't have to like bother sending them to you? And she's like, Claire, never give your CPA bank account information because then not only am I running all of your finances, I also have access to your bank account. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, But I think that those are the learning moments that I'm still having. um, And I recognize that um, I'm learning. So that being said, if anybody's li- listening and thinking that they can take advantage of me because I'm a young fa- founder, you can't because I've learned. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You're home. Again, I have the opportunity to see your video, your body languages. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'm, I'm experienced now to take advantage of uh, the company. So now I know. Now you're ready. Well, obviously you have kind of immersed yourself in this, again, fascinating growing business. You, you've done so much personally to, to build it to what it is today and what it will become. I'm curious, is, is there a life outside of business for you or is uh, Go Ant Flow all you do these days? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So um, I am a fitness instructor. I've been in, I've been teaching fitness for the past five years. I've taught everything from Zumba to cardio dance to, you know, button glutes and abs and all of that. So I love fitness and I love um, helping folks reach their fitness goals. So that is a thing that I do in my free time. Um, I also listen to a ton of podcasts. So that's why I love being asked to be on podcasts because podcasts are my way of learning. Um, and then I also knit, um, but I don't really know how to make anything other than like a straight line. So like, imagine making a really, really long scarf. Like I haven't really learned how to cast off yet. So (laughs) I literally have like this, uh, at least five foot straight line of yarn that I've knitted together. (laughs) Um, uh, but that's just something to pull me away from the screen and use my hands. So those are some things that I do in my spare time. Okay. So what do you, I mean, it's, I hate questions like, where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? And you'll, you'll still be like a, a young person at that time. But, I'll still be in my 20s. Yeah. <laughs> and it may be hard for you uh, to look kind of into the future, but, but what is kind of next or where do you see yourself and your business going? Hmm. Yeah. And you know, that is, that is tricky. And of course, um, as a business owner, when I chat with investors, um, they of course want to hear the three to five year plan and how we're going to exit and how we're going to get them their money back and all of that, which of course I recognize and we have all of our financial projections to prove it. Um, but I will say as a human, it is really hard to imagine, you know, next three to five years, um, what's going on. So 
I don't know that I really have like a personal plan, but I, I we do have a business plan. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And of course, my life is entwined with the business. So I can see a few different opportunities there. But I will say one of the things that I've learned most recently about myself is um, that I don't fear death. I've never feared death, but I do fear living unhappily. Um, and how, what that means to me is that I, I'm not thinking about the day that I'm going to die. I'm not worried about it. I don't do things because I'm afraid I'm going to die. It's not like I won't jump or it's not like I won't do jumping, jump, jump. What is it called? <laughs> bungee jumping, bungee jumping. I'm dyslexic. So it's kind of tricky to figure out words sometimes. Um, I won't bungee jump because or I will always bungee jump because I don't really fear that the string's going to break and I'm going to die. Um, but I will say that the fear of living unhappily is, um, can also be cumbersome because I'm also, I'm always trying to do more, be more, see more, live more. Um, and that of course is exciting, but also exhausting in some, at some points as well. So I will say over the next five years, I'm always striving to find what happiness means to me. And I am still looking for that. So what have you discovered so far about what happiness means to you? Oh God, this is now like turning into a therapy session, which yes, I love. That's um, what I do. <laughs> this, is, this is a kind of question my mom would ask me as a therapist. Um, but I, I think where I have felt or when I have felt the most happy is really when I am uh, talking to customers and making new sales and connecting with folks and lifting other folks up. Um, I'm so thankful that I've now been in a position where I have some headspace to, de- de- to dedicate to other young founders and to female entrepreneurs that are starting out, or to really any entrepreneur that's starting out or getting going. Um, and I love being able to mentor them because I learn as well. Um, I learn from them. They learn from me. And I love that kind of collaboration. Um, but then I also find happiness in you know running uh, around the city and, um, running in nature and just physical activity for my body. Um, so a lot of different things, uh, I couldn't just do the same thing all of the time. I couldn't just run for hours at a time, but I also couldn't meet with people for hours at a time. So that constant change and, um, new, those constant new experiences really helped me grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned mentoring and giving advice to young entrepreneurs. And I think, um, you know, whether people listening to this are young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general, or people who may be considering starting something new, I think we all have that entrepreneurial kind of aspect to our lives. What, what are maybe two or three pieces of advice that you typically find yourself giving to people who are in that kind of um, trying to build something or create change? Yeah. So I think one of them is, you know, a lot of people, <laughs> it's always so funny when people say like, a lot of people ask me, yada, yada, oh, I'm successful. <laughs> but actually a lot of people do ask me, you know, how was I able to figure out all the things I was able to figure out? How was I able to figure out sourcing product in China, Germany, and Israel? How was I able to figure out how to go- grow this company um, to be one of the leading menstrual product uh, players um, and the leading suppliers for California, Illinois, and New York? Like, how was I able to do that? And my response is rather simple. I have two responses. The first one is I just Google it. Like I literally Google everything. Like you think I knew how to source product? No, I literally Googled it. And you know what? There's tons of blogs on it. So I think in this age of 
with technology, we literally have so many answers at our fingertips and we just need to Google it. And then after that, if Google is not providing you enough of what you need, make a big ask. And we talked about this before of really just asking for what you want and asking for what you need. Um, recently, we started working with some dist distributors. So what that means is we sell our product to a janitorial company and then the janitorial company sells it to the end user. And I kept looking up online, you know, how to create... Um, effective distribution partnerships, how to create or how to negotiate margin, how to do all this stuff. But I really just needed to connect with somebody that was in purchasing to tell me the lingo. Like I needed to know the lingo from one person to another. And I made a post on social media and said, Hey, trying to connect with somebody in purchasing. And literally the next day, the head purchaser of the Detroit Tigers reached out and was like, Hey girlfriend, like I'm happy to answer questions. Like what? <laughs> like, and those are like kind of the, like the things where I'm like, make big asks because people respond to them and they genuinely want to help. And so I, I'm just so thankful for other folks that want to help because I want to help too. And if you're making a big ask, I will do my best to be able to respond to it. So those are my two pieces of advice. Wonderful. Are there people that maybe you admire or that you're kind of watching and learning from out there, whether they're business owners or celebrities or people in your community? Are there two or three people that you're kind of watching their path and following along? Yeah, yeah. One of my biggest um, a person that I look up to tremendously is Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Ice Cream. Um, I, I admire her tremendously. She, of course, you know, she took the alternative path, didn't f really finish college, started out um, her ice cream business, struggled for years and really just kept pressing on. And now she's just like an awesome Wonder Woman, mom, wife, like ice cream extraordinaire. Um, so she is somebody that I definitely look up to. And then in addition to that, I, I have a team of advisors for AntFlow that always keep me in check and really ask me the hard questions. And of course, I look up to all of them um, to help me grow as a human. So those are the kinds of people that I love surrounding myself with. Well, it's still, it's interesting. If you had stayed at the Ohio State University, would you be graduating this year or next year? Um, actually, I would be graduating. Um, well, I think I would be graduating in December. Um, thankfully, I went into the university and I had like some credit hours. So I think it would be able to graduate in three years rather than four. Um, so yeah, I would, I would now have a flimsy piece of paper to wave around and show people. <laughs> in comparative religion. Um, yes. Do you have, it sounds like I know the answer to this question, but do you have any regrets about not continuing your formal education? Mm. Um, so what's lovely about hindsight bias is it always makes you feel better about the decision that you, that you made. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I, I don't know what college would have been like and what kind of opportunities I would have had if I stayed in, but I do really feel confident about the decision that I made. Um, and what's, I, I will say the one thing that I felt that I missed out on is that true college experience. Like I don't have you know, really sloppy, drunk days to reminisce on. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I only lived in a dorm for a semester. So I will never be able to bond about like the days in the dorms. And I, I don't, I never learned Carmen, Ohio. Like I don't even know the, the, how it starts, you know? So I don't have that school pride, but, um, uh, 
what what is nice is I I have friends in college. So if I want to um, like pretend like I'm a college student, I can call them up. But I never really crave that. So mm -hmm. I uh, so I. That being said, I don't really have any regrets of not finishing my education. So if a um, if parents reached out to you and they they're trying to convince their child to go to college that maybe is is not feeling it for whatever reason, would you encourage them to let their child figure it out on their own? Hmm. Well, so, so the way that I think about it is, so my parents, I, I am so thankful for them. They, they wanted to pay for my college education, which is so kind. Um, but a lot of folks don't have that opportunity. So my question always is like, if you don't know that you want to go to university, why spend thousands of dollars figuring it out? You know, figuring it out without a college or like figuring it out without going to university is a lot more cost effective than figuring it out at university. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that gap years are so underrated right now. I think it's important for folks that are just getting out of high school, if they don't know what they want to study, why go straight to university? Start start your first job, start trying things out. And then if you determine that you do really love the medical industry, or if you do really love the business industry, and it makes sense for you to get that degree, then go get that degree. But if you're going in mindlessly, it just sounds like a waste of money to me. Um, and so I would encourage parents to really think about it um, in a financial way of like, you know, why spend $20,000 of figuring it out when you could, I mean, do so much else with that money. Yeah, I actually, I listened to a writer, James Altucher, his podcast, and he has a, a young daughter that is uh, college age, and he has offered her $10,000 to not go to college, but she wants, she wants to go to college. So he's disappointed that she's not taking him up on the offer to do exactly what you said, kind of get out and, and start figuring out a few things, maybe even before you decide to continue your education. So there's some wisdom, I think, in, in all of those opportunities as well. So I adore you, and I could talk to you much, much longer, but we'll wrap up here. Where can people find out more about Claire Coder and or Go Ant Flow? Yeah, yeah. So you can learn more about me. I respond to all my emails. Um, you can learn more about me at clairecoder.com. All my social medias are just at clairecoder. Um, and then from the business side, if you know a business or have a business that would should stock their tampons and or should stock the bathrooms with freely accessible tampons and pads, you can learn more about that at goantflow.com. And of course, flow is with a W, F-L-O-W. So goantflow.com. And then all of our social medias are just goantflow. And I am, I am happy to have learned that it's very affordable for companies to provide that option to their employees. So please do check out goantflow.com. Thanks so much for being with me today, Claire. And I wish you much success and happiness as you continue to grow yourself and your business in the future. Awesome. Right back at you. One of the best things about the journey of making an impact in the world is the people that you meet along the way and seeing how they're creating impact. My friend, Laurie Rudiman, is one of those people. She's a writer, speaker, and entrepreneur who is setting out to fix work. In her podcast called Let's Fix Work, she's tackling why work is often so miserable for many people and what we can all do to fix it. Here's some of what she's talking about. During the past 10 years, I've developed a huge network of friends and colleagues. These are people who are passionate about fixing work. They have big ideas 
They're authors, speakers, consultants, and even HR ladies who want to help workers find purpose and meaning. So I'm starting a podcast to interview my friends who want to fix work. I love the Let's Fix Work podcast, and I think you will too. Check it out and subscribe over at letsfixwork.com. If you want to raise your game at work, you've got to raise your impact. Find out Jennifer's 10 best strategies to make more of an impact at work at jennifermcclure.net slash 10 ways. That's jennifermcclure.net slash 10 ways.